This video is the third video on a sequence of videos which I'm doing for Polyamory Week, which I talk about polyamory, multiple loves. And today we're going to explore the truth about love, sex, and relationships. And it just so happens to be Valentine's Day. So it's uh, appropriate to be talking about this sort of stuff. Or is it? There are a lot of mistruths and misconceptions about love and relationships over time, and a lot of which is the cause of tremendous suffering for most people. And so I wrote the book, Relationships 101, The Forbidden Secrets of Love, Sex, Happiness, and Relationships, and the male-female dynamic explained. And it's founded on the tremendous suffering that people cause because of the misunderstandings they have about love and relationships with people. And so I want to explore some of these misunderstandings and how... Uh, how you can practice, how you can get out of these misconceptions and learn the truth. And learning the truth enlightens you. Enlightenment is a fantastic thing where it's, you're, you're free from the burden of suffering, which most all suffering is self-inflicted. There's never any need to suffer. Remember that pain is in the mind. Injury is in the body. Suffering is strictly in the mind, self-inflicted. And so when you enlighten yourself about these ideas, which I'm going to talk about, the less suffering you'll have with yourself. So there are a lot of preconceptions that we have, and I like to say that anything you know without question is suspect. Anything you know without asking why you know those things, you just know them, they were just passed down to you from a time immemorial, they're suspect to introspection. The reason why I wrote the book was because to help you become a critical thinker, and that's all I ask, be a critical thinker, especially in the areas which cause you suffering needlessly. And all suffering is needless. There was, her, there was a husband and a wife. They visited their, um, their mother for thanks, for, for dinner. And, it was uh, the daughter, it was the wife's uh, family. And then the mother prepared a loaf of bread and put it on the table. And uh, interestingly, the both sides of the loaf were cut off. So there was a loaf, but the sides of the loaf were cut off. And the husband was wondering, uh, asked his wife, why is it that the sides of the loaf are cut off? I'm curious. And then the wife replied, you know, that's the only way we've done it uh, all my life. You should ask my mom. I really don't know why we cut off the size of the loaves. And so after dinner, the husband went over to the next room where his, um, his wife's mom was uh, there. And uh, he asked her, hey, miss, why... I'm curious, why do you cut off the size of the loaves? And uh, she, to which she replied, You know, I, I don't know. That's how I've done it all my life. But you know, you should ask my mom about it. My mom's over there in the next room. And so he asked, later on during the day, he asked uh, his wife, his uh, wife's mom's mother, his step, his uh, grandmother-in-law. And then she said something interesting. She said, you know, the reason why we cut off the loaves on the, si the side of the loaves 
is because when I was a kid, our ovens were only this big. And so we had to cut off the sides of the loaves. A lot of the things that you know, which you know without question, is suspect. One of these uh, misconceptions and preconceptions that we have is, let me ask you a question. Do you, when you put gas in your car, do you turn your car off or do you leave your car on, running? When you are in an extreme weather country, you don't need to turn, you, you don't want to turn your car off when it's like negative 50 degrees Fahrenheit, negative 100 degrees Fahrenheit. And in fact, you don't have to. And so when you ask people, why do you turn your car off when you put gas on? Aside from the fact that it's written on the gas, gas tank as a rule, turn your car off. But why do you do it? A lot of people say because your car will explode or your engine block will explode, will catch on fire, um, your static will cause the engine to explode, or you'll just run off with the gas without paying. But the truth is, it takes about, it takes about, uh, less than one second to start a vehicle. There's actually no reason to, to, um, to turn off your vehicle. Except in this one scenario, which happened 1972-1973, where there was an oil war. There was an oil crisis. And up until that time, there was people who worked at a gas station called gas station attendants, whose job it was, was to stand there all day and put gas into people's cars. Their job was to put gas into people's cars. And at the same time, there was something called leaded gas. We had leaded gas. Most of uh, the place we have today is unleaded gas and recognize that lead causes havoc on people's health. It's extremely poisonous in which, the, so they made the rule, turn your vehicle off when you're putting gas. Otherwise, the gas station attendant would just die. Now, at the same time, there was an oil crisis, like I said, and which the Saudi Arabia would withhold oil from the U.S. And so gas prices rose. The gas station owners now had to think, how can we allow people to save money on gas? First thing they got rid of was the gas station attendants. Because something else happened during that time. We went from leaded gas to unleaded gas. Because leaded gas caused havoc on, uh, carb on, on, on fuel-injected vehicles. It was good on carbureted vehicles, but then now we have fuel-injected vehicles in which lead would cause havoc. So we had unleaded gas. Now we got rid of the lead in the gas and we also got rid of the, the gas station attendants because of the oil crisis, at which point we no longer need the rule to turn your vehicle off, except it's still there because people accept the, the rule without question. Anything you know without question is suspect. Now let's go into the things which you don't know, which you know to be true, except you don't know why it's true. And it's, in fact, you've never explored it for yourself why it applies to you, and in fact, probably it doesn't. And that is love and relationships. I have six minutes to talk about this, so let me go fast. In our society, there is something called a sexual cartel. A cartel is like OPEC, the oil petroleum exporting countries, in which it is an oligopoly. An oligopoly is a bunch of entities which agree upon a certain price so that no one undercuts that price. They provide the same product 
And so the oil, the OPEC said, hey, we provide the same product. We're different companies. Let's get together and let's agree upon a price so that no one cuts it lower so that we can all profit. But inevitably in uh, oligopoly, someone will always undercut it so that they can make a profit. And so in our society, there is a hidden cartel, a cartel which is unspoken of. This is called a sexual cartel. And a sexual cartel says, and it's uh, made, made up a lot of women who bring down other women, they say that you cannot sell this for lower price, such as a cartel does, an oligopoly. A bunch of entities which get together and say, do not sell this at a lower price, otherwise you're undercutting us. And so the sexual cartel says, if you provide, if you provide sex for free, you are undercutting the cartel. I want you to think about that while we explore the dichotomy that women are in. Women are in a double bind. Women in our society internationally are in a double bind. Double bind means I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. The double bind is, is this. What do you call, what name do you put, what name do you call a woman who has sex with people for nothing in exchange? She has sex with somebody because it's fun, he's lovely, um, maybe she's just horny. She doesn't want anything in exchange. She doesn't want money. She doesn't want uh, a sense of security. She doesn't want a relationship. She doesn't want to date him. She just has sex with somebody because she likes to, she wants to, she feels like it. What do you call this woman? I want you to think of that, of that word. Now, when I ask women this, women, some women say prostitute, and I say, no, 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 it's, a, it's not for money, it's not, it's not commercially, just for free. And a lot of women that tell me this, they say, oh, a slut. So if you call a woman who provides sex for free because she wants to and likes to, it's her, her decision. So what do you call a woman then who has sex not for free, only for something in return? She has sex with somebody only for something in return. There's a word we call a woman who has sex for something in return. Now there, there's a low status and a high status. Some people, some people call this a prostitute. Some people call this, let's call this a whore. Women who only have sex for something in return. For something in exchange. Value in exchange. There's a low status and then a high status in our society. The low status whore says, you know, I'll, provide me, pay for my car, pay for my bills, pay for my apartment, pay for my plane flight, pay for my travel to Ania, and I'll have sex with you. Or 500 bucks, I'll have sex with you. It's not a good or bad thing. I have a lot of women friends who do this as a profession, and I love them. And then there's the high-status whore. The high-status whore says, I'll provide you sexual exclusivity, only have sex with you and nothing else, at least, at least publicly. In exchange for you providing me and my offsprings security for the rest of my life. There's another four-letter word we call this woman. Do you know what that word is? That's right, a wife. 
So this is the insane model, double-bind, that women have in our society. They live in a world where when you have sex for nothing in return, you are undercutting the cartel. You're providing sex for no exchange of security. You are wearing, you're being too sexy, you're being too flirty. You are undercutting the cartel, you're providing sex, you are a slut. And then there's the there's the woman who only has sex, who, who follows the cartel's rules and only has sex for something in exchange, security or anything in exchange. And so women that are free, that are independent, are in this double bind where they're decried and they're shouted upon by their peers, their sisters, their mothers, their aunts and uncles. Their peers decry them, ostracize them because they are undercutting the cartel. They're providing something for free which they have to charge for. So when you come across women who are like this, recognize that women are in this tremendous double bind. And so the truth about love, I'm going to reset this video. Hold on one second. I only got 15 minutes to record and one video. Okay, let's continue. Here's the truth about love and relationships. You see, women, why do we have this autofocus? Why do we have this sexual cartel in our society? What is the history of the relationships, how it's come to be, and why this cartel has come to be? We humans did not have the concept ownership when we were just nomads and we traveled where food was and we stopped at places where there was food and then when there was no food we move around. And then there was something called 10, around 10 to 15,000 years ago where we discovered agriculture, farming and uh, ranching. We discovered that we could stay at one place now and plant foods and then stay at that place and just plant food, foods year round because we discovered something, some foods, some plants which we could grow year round. And so we had to come up with something, a way, a, a concept to own real estate, to own land. And just when we discovered owning, we now discovered the concept ownership and Ownership is fantastic because you're able to pass on your wealth, your land, to your next generations. And so, we came up with the concept ownership, and just in the same way, men have discovered that, that they needed to find a way, men needed to find a way to recognize, to know that their firstborn were their own because their firstborn was going to inherit the land. And so one of the ways they did this was they thought about the concept ownership and they said, you know, just in the same way as you plant seed into fertile soil and get product, you plant seed into fertile soil and then get product. In order for them to own, to know that they're first born where they're, where they're owned, they had to know that they're, that women that they're with were virgins. And so they came up with something called the honeymoon. They came up with a lot of ways over the years, over history, like harem guards who would guard their wives, the harems. But we, some clever people came up with something called 
um, marriage. Marriage is a vending off of the woman to a man from first the, the first owner, the sec first security provider, which was the father, and then the second passed down to the second security provider, which was the husband, in which she was the owner, the, the ownership of that, that husband, in which she would take on his family name. The marriage originally was a sale from a father to a, to a, a husband. In fact, when you visit old languages, some languages, don't delineate between husband and master. The words were the same thing. And so, we now have this, this idea of bending off of the woman to a man. So they come up with these things to ensure that the women were their own, to make sure the owner, the, the women whom they'd marry were virgins. They came up with things like chastity belts. They also came up with something called the honeymoon. Honeymoon, one moon, one month in which she was sequestered away from any, she was sequestered away from men. And so, when the, the husband, were for sure, who has bought the wife, has ownership of the wife, was now sure that because she was sequestered away from other men, he could be sure that she was a virgin. And if she wasn't a virgin, if she didn't bleed on the marital bed, she'd be stoned to death in front of the family house. This was the way it was. It's very new in our history as mankind for people to be with their partner whom they loved rather than having an arrangement with somebody who they were in a marriage with. And so this was the history of of relationships and how relationships come to be, of monogamy. In fact, monogamy, we'll explore this in a different video, but monogamy is not natural with humans. If humans were to pair bond with one person for the rest of their life, there would be no word marriage. Hey, There would be no need for the word marriage. We would just pair bond with one partner and never need to stray, but in fact, we humans are not like that naturally. And so now we come to love before I end this video. Love is your wanting for your beloved's happiness intrinsically to your own. The same happiness you want for yourself, like I said before, is the same happiness you want for your beloved. Ownership is not a demonstration of love. Ownership, possessiveness, jealousy is a demonstration of your lack of love. I'm going to continue this video tomorrow. Hopefully you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, leave it in the comments below. And um, we're going to continue this for the rest of the week, maybe two more days. And hope you enjoyed it. Leave me questions in the comments below. Tell me what you think. Any uh, epiphanies for you? I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.